What is good? Let's have some fun. It's the Fundamism Podcast with your host, Paul J. Long, and all things fun. We'll let the fun begin. Woo! What is good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another Fundamism Podcast. We're riding solo today. We ride solo. We ride solo. We ride solo. I don't know the rest of the words, but that's Jason Derulo. Super excited today, as always. Uh, you guys know I'm an excitable human being. Very rarely in this life am I not excited because life is freaking fantastic. If you allow it to be, there's greatness happening all around you, but are you present? Are you even seeing the greatness that is happening? I recently had a situation where uh, I couldn't see it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Judgments. But before we get to them, I want to thank our podcast sponsor. Charlie Hustle, you know what it is. CharlieHustle.com. Coming to you all the way from Kansas City, supporting that throwback lifestyle. If you're looking for some cool, fresh attire that supports a local community and that has some of your favorite colleges represented, Texas Tech just made the uh, national championship game. And by the time this airs, the national championship will have been decided. But if you want to celebrate Texas Tech, well, Charlie Hustle's got some gear for you. Sue, go to charliehustle.com to learn more. Judgments. You know, you guys have all heard me say it, and uh, this, of course, was a quote given to me, a close friend of mine, years and years ago. You know, he said, don't worry about what people think about you because they don't think about you. And again, I know that that's, that's super rough to hear for many. Uh, you've heard me say it before, and, and so I won't beat it up, but I think oftentimes we're hindered in our own personal growth because we're fearful of what others are thinking of us or saying or doing as a result of our actions. Earl Nightingale once said that when you judge others, you do not define them, you define yourself. Now, that actually, it goes multiple ways, and we're going to talk about that. But I think it's important to lay forth a little context. So those of you that have been following the fundamism journey on the IG or Facebook, you all know that, that I've been extremely busy out doing keynotes and uh, workshops, delivering the goods trying to inspire folks and create a little environment where individuals can potentially move themselves forward. And I got to be honest, things have been friggin' fantastic. I was recently um, 
I was getting a little, I was getting a little hot headed. Cause I was talking to a speakers bureau. I work with a lot of speakers bureaus and they're constantly trying to figure out what audience to put me in front of. And I had this one bureau that was, that was reluctant to put me in front of um, some of their C-suite clients because I'm, I'm kind of, uh, kind of out there, kind of different. I do some, I don't talk at folks when I'm on stage. I, I, I speak with folks. We have a lot of fun. I mean, my business is fun. You know, fundamentalism is all about fun and creating fun in your life and the life of others. And so as such, you know, there's a lot of engagement. People are up off their feet and we're having a good time. And so this particular speakers bureau was, was looking or observing some of my videos and was reluctant or were reluctant to put me in front of a C-suite group and specifically the banking industry because they thought that it wouldn't resonate. Now, I myself, I've, I've worked in corporate America as an executive. I've done well over 100 events. We're talking CEOs. We're talking presidents. We're talking frontline staff. We're talking middle, middle management. I mean, I've done them all. Blue collar, white collar, uh, rough and rugged, and you know, individuals that thought that they had it all together. And when I say I got, I got a little hot-headed, like, when this particular speaker's bureau said this to me, I'm like, I haven't been in front of a group that I felt like the message didn't resonate or that I felt like they didn't enjoy the experience or that they didn't like me as a speaker. Like, I feel like, honestly, I could put myself up in the upper echelon of speakers. Now, I'm not saying that there is not a huge area of opportunity and growth for me because every single keynote that I do, I'm, I'm trying to fine-tune my delivery. I'm trying to let a joke hang a little bit longer to see if I can get a secondary laugh out of the, out of the group. I'm, I'm changing the inflection or tone of a certain quote or, or you know, a story, or I'm incorporating a new story of something that happened with me before. So, so I'm not saying that there's not huge areas of opportunity in my business or for growth in speaking. But what I am saying, as I feel like you guys should all say, that I'm freaking good at what I'm good at. And that's speaking. So I got a last minute call recently to go out and do in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the Farm Bureau Fusion Conference. There's 1,300 farmers and ranchers and individuals in the, the ag business and the last minute call was because their, their president and his family have unfortunately been dealing with some challenge recently. His wife is, is undergoing cancer and it's been a tough couple of weeks for her. So he typically takes great pride in closing the conference out with a keynote of his own. But unfortunately, due to the circumstances and the challenges that his family and his wife are facing, he found it in his best interest and his family's best interest to stay home. And I applaud that. So I got the call. Now, I've never, I've never done a gig uh, in front of 1,300 farmers, ranchers, and individuals in the ag business. And so I'm a little bit in my head. I'm wondering, is this message going to resonate? So I got on stage 
I kind of put the judgments aside. We did the damn thing. I had an absolute blast. People were on their feet having a good time. And I, I don't get a lot of standing ovations and I hate talking about them because I don't think that that's, I don't think that that is a, uh, a measuring system for whether or not you did well or, or didn't did well, <laughs> didn't did well, didn't do well. But you want to be brought to emotion when these 1,300 folks stood up and were clapping and looking at me after this one-hour keynote together, I was on cloud nine. I had a sense of euphoria, and, and in that moment, I thought to myself, gosh, I'm doing what I was born to do. This is, this is a tremendous opportunity for me to potentially help others, and I feel blessed that I was given this skill set to be able to be up here. And they brought me to tears. Now, fast forward just a couple of days later, I get the opportunity to do a gig in a primarily financial realm. It's a, a number of different financial planners or advisors, if you will. This company is absolutely tremendous. I mean, I talked to their president on the phone in a planning call two weeks prior to the event. And I got to tell you, folks, I, I just, you ever had that time where you just knew, like you knew in every ounce of your being that something was a good fit and you were going to slay in a, in a certain environment or when given an opportunity? So when I had the opportunity on this pre-planning call with this president of this financial firm, within the first 15 seconds, I'm stoked because this, this gentleman says, how are you doing? And I said, oh man, if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. Or I said something to the extent of, uh, maybe I said, I'm on cloud nine and rising. I don't know what I said, but it was full of energy. And the gentleman stopped me, said, man, can I just tell you People call me an optimist all the time. And after hearing your intro and hearing the energy that you have through this phone, I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, there's two of us. He said, there is not a doubt that you are going to kill with this audience. And so we go on 30 minutes. We're rapping about, you know, speakers that have motivated his group and things that, that he admires and others and the growth of his, of his, um, his firm and how, amazing they are in building culture. And specifically, like one of the most amazing things that I heard is that if indeed um, the retention rate in a four-year span of new hire financial planners, that retention rate is typically, it's, it's typically not very good. It's like 9%. 9%. 9 of financial planners that enter the industry are gone after their fourth year. But the retention rate for this particular company is 70%. What does that tell you? 70 freaking percent. It tells you that they create a culture where people want to be a part of something bigger. They feel appreciated. They feel valued. And ultimately, they feel like they have the tools to be successful. That's why people stay. So I get off that call and I'm on cloud nine. 
Mind you, I'm coming fresh off the standing ovation on 1,300 farmers. I'm meeting and mingling. I know quite a few folks in the audience. We're talking about Kansas City. We're talking about the Royals. And I go on stage. And I customize my content to meet them where they are and, and to tie it together with what with what financial planners and advisors face on a regular basis, information that I did, that I received through research and obviously talking to the president as well. And I, I fancy myself as an entertainer. And so oftentimes my value um, to an audience in my own mind is dictated by the amount of laughter or engagement or uh, even tears and emotion that are generated as a result of our one hour together. And, and as an entertainer and not a motivational speaker, I take great pride in creating an environment where people can get emotional. And when I say emotional, I'm talking about laughter, thinking, crying, all of it. Like, I just want people to have an experience. So I get on stage and I'm cracking jokes. And I'm doing me and I'm being 100% authentic. Nobody's laughing. I'm not really getting any, any smiles. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. A couple of folks are on their phones. And I remember having this oh shit moment while I'm on stage thinking to myself, I'm bombing right now. I'm bombing. I've never bombed before. I'm bombing. What do I do? How do I get through this moment? I feel like they invested, uh, you know, uh, uh, they invested a lot in bringing me here and, and I'm failing. And I, and I felt guilty because the president of this organization, he was so excited to have me and he just knew that we were going to, that we were going to slay. And I get done and I just have this this pit in my stomach. I felt empty. I felt, I felt terrible. I felt like failure. So I'm driving back and I had my videographer with me. I'm telling him about this. I'm telling him about how empty I feel and how I don't, I don't like this, this feeling of failure or that I had let somebody down. And it doesn't happen very often. And I'm not scared to talk about this. I'm not scared to talk about it because I think that we should all talk about things like this. But as I'm thinking about letting folks down, I'm thinking about the situation. I'm thinking about the amazing call that I had prior to and what went wrong. My videographer, Rob, says to me, he said, where are you getting this from? Why do you feel like you failed? I didn't pick up on any of that energy that you're talking about. I said, man, I just, they didn't laugh at my jokes. I just got blank stares. I felt like they weren't engaged. I felt like they hired me to entertain them and to force them to think. And I feel like I didn't deliver on, on that expectation or that promise. He said, Paul, I think you're in your head. He said, what I find the most interesting is you tell people, don't worry about what people think about you because they don't think about you. The most irritating thing about this experience is that I was a hypocrite. I have no idea whether my message resonated with that group or not. I have no idea whether or not 
they were driven to, to think. I saw them taking a lot of notes. Maybe, just maybe, they're not an expressive group. Maybe they're not, when they react or respond to humor, maybe they don't outwardly get jovial or express a ton of gut-busting laughter. Maybe my jokes aren't that funny. (laughs) Either or, I was so irritated with myself that I'm constantly telling people or talking about how nobody's thinking what we're thinking in our own heads. And I'm judging this whole group. And I realized that when you judge others, you do not define them. You define yourself. That quote by Earl Nightingale. It wasn't the group. It was me. There was something in me, my ego, that felt like I had to have a certain reception that drove me to get down on myself. I received an amazing text message from one of the coordinators of that event the following day. You see, that particular group, they went to a, they went to a hockey game after we were done. And I just reached out to this gentleman and I said, hey, thank you very much for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. This gentleman said that, Paul, your ability to allow people to shift their brains into a new fun way of living is amazing. It showed already at the hockey game. Reviews were great. Reviews were great. But even after receiving that text message, I couldn't get out of my head. I'm still wondering if I need to switch things up. You see, I've done over 100 events, and it's, it's not the... It's not all the, 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 the laughter and the, the crying and the smiles and the, the positive reinforcement and the standing ovations that I'm stuck on and, and that are validating that I'm in the right role. It's this one time that the group didn't respond like the others that I feel like is defining me and my skill set. I'm an idiot. I'm a hypocrite. So I take that negative energy with me. I go up to Norfolk, Nebraska. You see, they're doing a 50th anniversary chamber banquet. It's their 50th anniversary of the banquet. And I walk in and I see one of the coolest environments that I've ever been a part of. I see that they have, they have, mirrored the whole theme of this engagement after the concept of fun and fundamentalism. They had, they had games. They had people in the community competing on centerpieces for each table. They had members of the local dance troupe dancing. They had a band They had an escape room. They had balloons and streamers and everything that spelled out fun. I mean, everything was fun. And I walk in and I'm just, I'm overcome with emotion and energy. And I get the opportunity to meet and mingle with all these folks. And I'm, I got to the event relatively early and I go out to my car 
to get my bow tie and my, my outfit for the night. And as I'm closing my car door, this lady yells out from the parking lot, you're a freaking superstar. And I look over and I walk over her way and I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're all over the place. We saw you up at the Mace Conference. You're doing the Nebraska Bankers Association meeting. You know, everywhere you go, you make a difference. <laughs> that moment, I, I thought to myself, you're right, I do. I'm good at what I do. Why am I hung up on this one event that, that didn't generate the response that I thought it could have or should have? Ladies and gentlemen, I get up on that stage that night and we have a freaking blast. I got another standing ovation. Again, I don't tell you that to be full of myself or to brag or whatever because I don't get them very often. But what's funny is I got a standing ovation at the Farm Bureau Fusion Conference. 1,300 folks. Then I got this, this one situation that I feel like I bombed. A dud in my own mind. And then it was sandwiched with one additional event that was themed after fun where folks were lining up afterwards to give thanks. Where they got to their feet and they showered me with praise and applause. Those moments, they happen every single day for you. Now they may not be that extreme You may not see them as clearly, but they happen every single day for you. When you're in this moment and you're doing the thing that you love and you're doing what you do great, great, people notice. And you should notice too. Don't let these These small, insignificant moments define you. You never know what other people are thinking. You can't possibly be in other people's heads. You see, I was a hypocrite that day that I got in front of that audience and left feeling as though I let them down. Never know their response. I'll never know their thoughts. I'll never know if I potentially moved just one individual in that audience to do something different. As a result, why should I allow that moment to bog me down and to force me to change my behavior when everybody else was so receptive to it? As you look around the people that you surround yourself with, both at work, at home, your friends, surround yourself with people that lift you up. Surround yourself with individuals that you feel when you walk away, you're not fearful of them judging you because you know that they got your back and they respect you. See, in that moment, again, I was judging that group. I was judging that group and their receptiveness or receptivity to me. But I wasn't defining them. I was defining me. 
When you judge others, you don't define them. You define yourself. So stop making judgments. Accept what is. And do the damn thing. And when you do, you'll find far more joy, fun, and fulfillment in your life. And the people that make your life even better than it already is. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Fundamism Podcast. I can't wait to chat with you again next week. This is Paul Long encouraging you to go out and create a little fun in your life and hopefully create an environment where others can have some fun as well. Enjoy your day and we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace out.